Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? You know, I got this this morning as a gift, and I'm wearing it. Can you guys see it? Father, the noble element. Amen. Yeah, amen, right? Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, I'm going to start off by just reading a, a, a short personal story, um, and then we're, we're going to get into the Bible. It's all connected, don't worry. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. We didn't plan this, but uh, it's funny that today is Father's Day, and we're talking about um, an idea about authority. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, the idea of authority to me, like somebody having authority over me, like telling me what to do, whatever, um, I don't like it, to be honest. And we're going to talk about it today. Uh, the re- one of the reasons that I don't like it is, um, is when I was a kid, uh, I had... Uh, I had, I had a grandpa who was, um, he was a very successful businessman. He was like a, he was a boss. He was like a CEO of a company. So, I mean, he had to be to some degree, you know, domineering and, you know, you just got to tell people what to do and, you know, that's just part of the gig, right? So you get really good at that. Um, so, therefore, a key ingredient uh, in his leadership was his ability to, uh, to be commanding and to direct others in what to do so that the business, the business could thrive and, and be awesome. So, um, in my, as a kid, my experience of him, um, unfortunately, was uh, I got a lot of, like, the, the stuff that he did at work, like, he would bring that home. It's like super commanding, um, super direct, and sometimes that needs to happen, but um, it was a broken form of authority and commanding. Um, So much to the point that uh, it really scarred me as a kid. You know, like he didn't have control of his anger, so his anger, it would just like go from zero to 10 and like, like that, you know? And so that scarred me as a kid and I carried that into adulthood and that affected all my relationships with everyone, particularly those uh, in positions of authority. Um, and, and so, as I, as I brought that scar into my relationship with God, um, I, in a big way, projected my grandpa onto God. 
God is just commanding this uh, mean, out to get me, is just kind of waiting for me to mess up so he can punish me. Um, he'll never understand me. He loses his temper. Um, his definition of success is like the acquisition of wealth and me not, that was like the standard by which I was measured as like a success or not as a young man. Um, and ultimately, it made me just left feeling confused and useless because I didn't measure up. So that has all sorts of implications, but point being, I'm not really a big fan of authority figures. And in our text today, which is in the Gospel of Matthew, so if you do have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open that to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. Um, and if you, have, uh, if you have the Bible on your phone, go ahead and do that. Uh, it's also going to be on the screen if you have Scripture memorized in the original languages. You know, that's fine, too. Um, so we're going to be looking at a story that really has a lot to do with the authority of God, the authority of Jesus, um, what that meant uh, back in his day um, as we look at a particular moment in time when his authority is actually challenged. And then we're going to talk about how the authority of Jesus applies to us today and maybe what that could mean for us. Does that make sense? Maybe. Yeah. I only ask because sometimes I talk and it makes sense to me, but it's not making sense to other people. That's why I ask if it makes sense. Just helpful to me. It makes sense. Yes. Thank you. Over here. Okay. Over here. Um, so let's read Matthew. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, chapter 21. Uh, starting at verse 23, and I'm going to go through verse 27. I'm just going to read that real quick, if you'd follow along. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Here's the question. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the people because they hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So Lord, thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us and that you would show us who you are 
as our Heavenly Father. And that you would come and do whatever you want. So this story, we're going to run through the story, talk a little bit about it, and then talk about some practical stuff. All right? This story takes place in the temple courts. Uh, now, in Judaism, the temple was the main thing in regards to worship. Some people would travel uh, days to go there to buy a sacrifice and then to have that, uh, that animal sacrifice or, or whatever uh, offered to God. Um, and one of the main sacrifices was for sins. You'd go somewhere, you'd make a sacrifice, make an offering to God so that God would forgive your sins and you would be okay with God. So this was a heavy part of the worship life in Judaism. And what's fascinating to me is that Jesus, the one who would soon be the final sacrifice for us and for the sins of the whole world, is actually standing in the temple, is actually standing in the place where sacrifices for sin are offered. And Jesus was the final sacrifice to forgive our sins. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. Now, Jesus, we, and this is, uh, if you've been here, you know we've been going through Matthew's gospel, and we've read about some, um, some pretty crazy things that Jesus has done as he's heading towards the cross, and he's heading towards and into uh, Jerusalem, the holy city, which is where the temple was. So Jesus walks in. Well, first of all, he rides into the city as though he were king. Now, I'm going to use uh, a couple words, um, so I just want to get those out of the way right now. Um, you, most of you are probably familiar with them. The first one is Messiah. The second one is Christ. And I'm not going to really go deep into those right now, but um, all, all you need to know for today is that uh, that means king. Okay? So Jesus rides in, into town on a donkey. People are laying their coats down. And they are singing praises to God that have these messianic overtones. Jesus goes into the temple and we read about this before, he overturns the tables of the money changers and says, this was meant to be a house of prayer, and you guys are running it like a den of thieves. Jesus is teaching in the temple. He heals people. He heals the blind and the lame. Jesus is acting pretty wild, okay? <laughs> Most people don't just go into the temple, the holiest place in, this, in Judaism of the first century, and do anything like this, okay? And if they did, it would raise all sorts of questions, and it did. 
because Jesus was acting very prophetic-like. And what I mean by prophetic or a prophet uh, in the Old Testament sense, that just meant God uh, chose someone to deliver a message to his people. That's all it means, okay? So Jesus was doing these prophetic-like things in the temple, even messianic kind of things, because a lot of people had been waiting, had been expecting the Messiah, their king, to come and to save the day. They were occupied by the Romans. The Romans were in control, and they longed to be number one. They longed to be over the Romans. They longed to exercise authority over the Romans. And the Messiah was the one who was going to help them do that. So this is a big friggin' deal, okay? So Jesus shows up. He's doing all this crazy stuff. And naturally, the people in charge, the chief priests and the elders... They challenge him as he's teaching. This is in public, okay? This isn't private. And they challenge him, and they say, who do you think you are? You imagine walking up to Jesus? Who do you think you are? By what authority are you doing these things? I think they're essentially asking him, are you claiming to be the Messiah? And the reason that question was important to them is because if Jesus was the Messiah, that would mean that they would have had to submit to his authority. And that would have had all sorts of implications that we'll we'll get into in a few minutes for them. So they really wanted to know. And in typical Jesus style, instead of just saying, yeah, or no, he asked them a question. And the question he asked, to me at first seemed a little random, but as I did more study, it started to make a lot of sense. Uh, And the question is, okay, John's baptism, John the Baptist, was it from heaven or from human origin? Was it from God or was it a human idea? Yeah, John the Baptist, I mean, we always think of him, or at least I do, as just this like, crazy prophetic guy. I don't know if he was naked, running around, you know, eating bugs or... No, he had some clothes, right, Bill? Camel hair. Okay, yeah, he wasn't naked. Um, but just this, like, crazy guy. And, uh, and so John the Baptist, um, essentially, his, uh, his purpose, like, what, what was he doing? What was he saying? What was his message? was, repent, for the kingdom of God is near, and the Messiah is coming soon. So get ready. So John's job was to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the king, and to prepare his people through repentance. Like, the Messiah is going to come, and he's not going to mess around, and you better repent. And you better, like, actually not just say, yeah, yeah, I'm a a sinner or whatever, but actually, like, turn from your sins and turn to God. There's a big difference. Now, John, got to understand, 
what John, what he says to not only just, uh, just like a, an everyday Joe, but uh, as he says this message to these chief priests uh, and elders, like the leaders, like the most revered, like in the highest place, this would have been one of the most offensive things that you could say to them. Why? Well, first of all, in the, in the Jewish tradition, for a male, I know most of you know this, um, circumcision was a rite of passage. On the eighth day, you were circumcised, and that was the tradition in which you entered into the covenant people of God. That was the sign, that was the symbol, that was the rite. So they were already circumcised, and they have someone yelling at them say, that's not going to cut it. <laughs> to be honest, that was an accidental joke. I mean, it happened yesterday in prep, but like, I didn't work on it or anything. Um, yeah, it definitely a dad joke. It's Father's Day. Come on. Um, you know? So, uh, so it's not going to cut it, which, which that alone would have been like, what the crap are you saying? Like, do you know who you're talking to? And not only that, but John is saying to them, okay, yeah, 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 I know, I know that. I know you're like these big people in charge and you're like the experts, like you're, you're sort of like, as Bill says, like the Harvard grads, you know, um, of their day. But nevertheless, God is doing something new in Jesus Christ. And you, you, like you have, you have the whole list of, of like good stuff, you know, stuff that you can point to and say, well, I am a person of God, you know? Yeah, that doesn't count anymore. Now, God is calling you to get baptized in the water is sort of like, let's start over. Let's start again. And to repent, again, to turn from your sins and to turn to God. You can say, say all you want, talk is cheap. Like, as God is calling the person of the lowest status to repent, he is also calling the people of the highest status to repent. And this would have called them into question, into question in a way that would have been so deep to the core. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine the kinds of things they probably said about John and thought about John. But they're like, who are you? Who do you think you are? Do you know who we are? Do you know who I am? So extremely offensive. God's doing a new thing in the Messiah that required a trust in God rather than a trust in self. And I believe that Jesus' question actually helped as they were conversing, you know, what should we say, actually helped sort of excavate 
what was beneath the surface in their hearts. And to me, I don't know about you, but it looks like fear. It looks like fear is what's in their heart. So I think, and this is just a few things, they were afraid of having to let go, number one, of their power. Look, I mean, if John was from God and Jesus was the Messiah, like I said earlier, they would have had to come under Jesus' authority. Jesus would have been the boss. <laughs> when I was in high school, I played basketball. And prior to high school, I was always the tallest guy on the team. So I had, like, the big dog, you know, I play center sort of thing. But when I got into high school... There was a guy named Chad Kasha. Anybody know him? Just checking. It's a small world. Facebook is out there, you know, the whole thing. Um, this guy named Chad Kasha. Manchild. <laughs> even as a freshman, just like, just a thick dude. And not even necessarily like, a, like big muscles, like muscular or anything. Just like, just like tree trunks for limbs. And uh, I was not the big dog anymore. I had to go lower. <laughs> it was up here. Um, and that's, that sucks, right? <laughs> you ever been in a position of power? You have a lot of influence. You get to, like, make a lot of decisions. You get to tell people what to do. Maybe you have a lot of uh, say in, the, in what happens creatively. And then someone else comes in, and then that changes for you. They also would have been afraid of having to let go of their status. And I'm thinking um, particularly just this idea of being honored by people, right? I mean, you're like, you have a certain status in life, sometimes that just automatically just sort of commands respect from people. I mean, we're in L.A., we're in Hollywood. I would think that probably most of us, uh, if, if we're in the presence of a particular person without knowing them, but just knowing of them or their position or whatever, it would just command this respect and sort of this awe over us. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sorry, I'm getting a lot of blank faces. I'm not sure if... <laughs> Does that make any sense? Thank you. I just need a lot of help. I'm just being really honest. <laughs> I need your help. Um, and then the third thing I was thinking was that they probably would have been afraid of having to let go of just being right. Who here likes to be wrong? No one, okay, that's what I thought, okay, we got one. I don't like to be wrong, that's the worst. Like, I think there's just something in us that just wants to be right, and I don't think that's a bad thing, but um, in their case, if Jesus was right, and John was right, and they were wrong, then that would have all sorts of implications, um, everything being called into question, you know, 
to let go of this being right thing, you have to be humble. You have to be willing to go low. You have to be teachable. Does anybody like being teachable? Anybody like being corrected? Okay, great. There's a few of us that like that. That's awesome. Oh, Jeremy, yeah. That's kind of your thing, right? It's like you just love when people correct you, right? Yeah, so if, if any of you see Jeremy and just kind of getting off track, just correct him. He likes that. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Don't talk to him. Don't correct him unless you have deep relationship with him. Right? I was being serious. Um, I don't know if you know, but uh, this is actually sometimes referred as Basilea 2.0. Do you guys know that? So our founding pastors, uh, I won't get into the whole story, but um, uh, years ago, there, there was a Basilea 1.0 that met in a different space, and it was gaining a lot of traction. And they ended up shutting it down out of faithfulness to Jesus. Like it didn't make any sense. And what I mean is that it was hip, it was happening, it was going, it was growing, people were coming, more people were coming. They had just gotten, um, it was sort of, it sort of had this like underground LA church vibe going on. Um, I think they even had, they had like a, they had coffee, but they even had like a, um, Oh, what do you call those? This, I can't believe I'm forgetting this. Um, no, it's, it's for beer. Tap, a beer tap. They had a beer tap. Like, it was just, it was hit, man. Um, and they were even about to get a, a really big donation that would fund them for a whole year. Um, but they really felt that God was asking them to shut it down because it was becoming something that, uh, that God wasn't asking them that, that God didn't want. <laughs> um, and they shut it down. Like, who in their right mind would do that? So this, this, this thing about the authority of Jesus, um, has the ability to shake us up. So, we're going to come in for a landing here, okay? So, to sort of bookend this story, I mean, I think probably most of us know how the story of the gospel ends, right? Jesus goes to the cross, and he dies for our sins. And what's crazy to me is having that in the back of my head when I'm reading this story. So these people that are threatened by Jesus and who he is and what he's about to the point of challenging him, to the point of hating him, to the point of plotting, how can we murder this guy so that we can stay comfy in our positions? Jesus died for their sins. And he died for mine and for yours and the sins of the whole world. 
And I think it's through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I think it's those things that give Jesus the authority over us. And why, why, like, who cares? Why does it matter? I think it matters because the authority of Jesus is not only a reality, like it's a thing, whether we like care or whether we uh, submit to it or not, but it's actually the authority of Jesus is a saving authority. What do I mean? We all have the propensity to have this mindset of self-determination. It's my life. There's no kids in here. Well, no, never mind. I was going to say something profane. Um, it's my life. Get out of my face. Uh, who are you to tell me what to do? You ever thought that? You're not the boss of me. <laughs> do you get... Yeah. You're not the boss of me. And this thing of self-determination is like, it's my life. I'm going to do what I want, whatever I want. Like, I am the author of my life. I'm the one with the pen who's writing the story to my life. And I think in a cultural level, that's what we're told. And of course, that's besides the fact that we have, you know, uh, privilege, I think, um, now, that is a different thing than, so submitting to our own authority is different than submitting to the authority of Jesus. And that's a scary place. And I understand why these guys were afraid of Jesus. Because if Jesus is boss, if Jesus is the king of the whole universe, if he has the ability to command my destiny, then he is Lord and he has the right to rule my life. He has the right to call me into question, to call everything I think and do into question. He has the right to turn my life upside down and inside out. My life is not my own anymore. In fact, there are some passages in Scripture that talk about Jesus death on the cross as like a ransom. This idea of Jesus actually bought you back from the dead. Jesus purchased every single one of us back from death. So really, my opinion, we are not our own. I don't own myself. I have become a slave to Christ because he has bought me with his blood. And there's no getting around it. I can fight it. I can try and ignore it. I don't like it. But his authority over me and my life and over you and your life will actually save you. Because the road to self-destruction is when I am authority, when I have my authority over my own life. 
But the road to salvation and rescue is when I submit and surrender and lay down my life for Jesus and simply say, Lord, come have your way. That's the posture. Lord, come have your way. This is the lifestyle. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily. He talks about if you try and grab onto your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you will find it. Who is ruling you? Is it you? Is it your career? And I want to make clear on this career thing, and I think it's, uh, it's important to say, I am not anti-career. I don't think careers are bad. <laughs> but I do think there's this thing where we put career first. We don't think we do, but we actually put it first. And then we fit Jesus wherever we can in there, as opposed to Jesus being at the top. And that's a scary place because if Jesus comes before my career and my priorities, then I have to hold a posture of open hands with my career because he could ask that of me for the sake of his kingdom. Ugh. But that's the posture. Maybe your parents are ruling you. Are you living for them, trying to become the person that they will finally say, I'm proud of you? Is it the parental voice in your head that controls you? Don't hold on to it. Let Jesus save you. Your boss, your addictions, we're all addicted, man. If you think you're not, <laughs> you're lying. We're all addicts. Now it may look, my addictions may look different from yours, but we're addictive. Are we allowing our addictions to rule us? I don't know about you, but in our culture, in this city, for me, like, I, like we're, I am very aware that we are inundated with sexual imagery. And as someone, as a man, as a son, who did not have a dad that guided me as a kid, just kind of in a general sense, but I'm being more specific now uh, about sexuality, I've grown up confused. 
And I think a lot of us are confused. And we have all these impulses and, um, and desires. And, you know, some would say, just shut it all down. It's all bad. It's all evil. You know, if you want to really be a godly person. And some would go to the other extreme. Everything, just whatever you feel like, man. Like, who cares? It doesn't matter. Where do we find the radical middle? What's the Lord saying? Sex is good. God created it. But what's the right context? What does it look like for Jesus to rule over my sex life and my desires and my imagination? What does that look like? I think that's... that's one thing, I'm not trying to make it the thing, but I think that's something that we need to like wrestle out with God together. We've got to talk about. Let's stand. If you would, just open your hands. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We depend on you. Jesus, being in this in a place of humility and in a posture of open hands and in a place of even getting near this thing of you exercising your authority over us, God. Even getting near you having uh, full dominion over our lives, over our decisions, over our hearts. can be terrifying. But it's also saving. You came to rescue us from every other idol, from every other dominion, even our own dominion, even our own lordship, kingship. You've come to set us free. That's what you do. So Holy Spirit, come now and release healing.